And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. All right, gang. I hope everybody's good and turkeyed out for the entire year. And we sit back and we've got 364 days to do it all over again. So hopefully as you listen to this, you are out and about elbowing, dropping legs, doing some snap mares and suplexes during the, the wonderful days of Black Friday sale. Just so you can get 5% off on your favorite item. You know, I remember when it became a big thing. And it used to be like stupid insane. It would be like 80% off on all items in the store. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's that's kind of where it started. And, um, you know, I, I partaked a couple times. I mean, I never threw an elbow, you know, but... They got pretty hostile. It was kind of fun. But um, now it's like they want to call it a sell. You know, anything 5, 10, even 20% off, that is not a Black Friday sell. That is a sell. That is just a normal sell. There's nothing spectacular to it. There's nothing special to it. Now, there's this thing I saw. Somebody was posting it on uh, Facebook, and it's like, Support the the no buy anything Friday, and I was sitting there and I was thinking about it, and I was like, "That's pretty stupid. Why would you want to do that to the economy?" Now, if you buy something, it helps the economy. You know, they have to pay the taxes, and it recirculates, and it does good. You know. But if you don't, then number one, they stop producing as much as they would, you know, like, oh, well, people aren't interested in X, Y, Z. So we're just going to, you know, cut it down to an eighth of production since nobody likes it. And so the, the product is hard to get. And because there's no supply for it, the price goes higher. It's just a really bad idea. And I, like I said, I saw it online. And actually, I think it was in the UK. And I, I like I, I have friends in Canada, and I asked them recently. I was like, "Do you have Black Friday in Canada?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, sure." Eh? And um, so I'm, I'm figuring that the the British have Black Friday as well. But I, I just I I hope here in the states we don't do anything st- stupid or silly like that. I know that you know everybody wants to to ah, I, I I don't want to go down that avenue, but um, so I, as you're listening to this, I hope you are enjoying your Black Friday. Uh, if you're not shopping, I hope you have your feet up and you're relaxing and you got a full belly from yesterday and life is good. While I'm on the subject of, you know, Turkey and Thanksgiving and everything, as I'm recording this, I'm sitting in, in the studio by myself, and as you can hear, it's nice and quiet. Uh, you can hear probably a little bit, if I can't 
edit it all out. There might be just a, a smidgen left of the heaters going on. You know, I live in Southern California. And the craziest thing happened today. It snowed. It snowed on Thanksgiving. And not just like a little like, dee, 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 okay, we're done. Yay, it sprinkled a little snow. No, it came down. There's like the freeway, the I-15 south, which goes down towards like Hollywood and Los Angeles area. That is closed because it snowed. I mean, people are literally stuck right now on the 15, the Cajon Pass, going down towards San Bernardino, Los Angeles, Hollywood area. They're stuck because of snow. It's how much snow we got. It's, it's crazy. And from what I was looking at the reports, mind you, this is Southern California. Um, we might actually get snow again tomorrow, which is, is just really weird. Um, so I feel like I need to talk about what I'm, I'm grateful for, thankful for, since it's, it's Thanksgiving. Technically, as I'm speaking, um, it is Thanksgiving. And what am I grateful for? What am I thankful for? And, of course, anybody that listens to me, knows me, or anything knows that my children are on the top of the list. I, I love my kids. I love Jaden, Zoe, and, and Lily with all my heart. And I'm, I'm very thankful to have them as my children. And I'm thankful to be their, their father. And... I really, I, I hope that, I know they, they probably do. Like, um, you know, they, they reciprocate on being thankful for me being their dad. And I know sometimes it's, it's like, uh, you know, you got to put on the dad pants and, and, and discipline, but you know, that's, that's part of parenting and, um, you can't, you can't always be their best friend, but, um, I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that, and I know this is going to sound stupid, but it, it's true, is you're listening to this because I've been battling, and I don't talk about this publicly, but I'm going to mention it here, and I, we'll see how far we get into it. Um, I've been dealing with really bad depression. And again, anybody that knows me knows that I just, I'm not a depressive person. And I, I just, I've been depressed. I, I've just been, I mean, we all face things in life and, and I get that. Okay. I, I get the, the hand that was dealt to me and I deal with it, but you know, I am a human being and despite what, you know, some people say behind the scenes and, and, you know, oh, I, I, I have a tendency to make it about all about me or, you know, I, I like to put the spotlight on me or whatever they say. I really don't, personally. Um, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not a, a, an emotional person. And it hits hard. And I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And I, I think it was... I, I'm still not 100% sure if it was just the fact that I miss Lacey, you know, my wife. It's, it's, uh, well, it was her favorite, one of her favorite holidays. We always had 
a great Thanksgiving. And um, I was telling a friend of mine recently, you know, I, I just, I had broke down and, and I was just sharing it because in real life, folks, I have no one. I mean, I have the kids, but I can't really talk, you know, you have an adult conversation with the kids. So I really don't have anybody here. Um, I'm, I'm alone. And so I had an opportunity to, to talk to a friend that was uh, over the phone. And I was explaining that the very first Thanksgiving that Lacey and I had, we were like 19, I believe, 18, 19. And we were living in Arkansas. We had just moved there from California because my, my biological dad lives out there. And I just gotten uh, a job working as a CNA at a nursing home. We're waiting on our, our paycheck. And we had just moved into our, our dinky little apartment. And I think I borrowed like a hundred bucks from my dad just so we can eat, you know, so we can live. And it was Thanksgiving and we didn't have hardly any money. So we walked down to the convenience store because you don't call a liquor store in Arkansas because Arkansas is dry. Most of it. And uh, so you walk down, well, we walked down to the convenience store and, and we thought it would be funny you know, since it was Thanksgiving, we got turkey sandwiches and sodas. And our very first Thanksgiving as husband and wife was, uh, you know, uh, a gas station turkey sandwich and sodas. And I promised her uh, that day, I said, this, this will be the last time you do not have a good Thanksgiving. Because she was all about family, you know. When I, when I grew up, well, when I was growing up, our, our family was the thing. It was, it was very entwined as a unit, but as the matriarch, who, which was my, my great-grandparents, as they got sick and passed away, the family just fell apart. Well, I, I think it split. And then after my grandparents, my mom's, mom passed away that was when the like the subunit what was left of the family just split apart and um she was very much about family she was it was it was a special day for her so i always tried to make thanksgiving special and and i i feel like as i'm sitting here i i, I feel like i've I accomplished that, you know, as we were husband and wife. I don't think that she ever had a bad Thanksgiving afterward. No, I, I kept my word. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I wanted to share that. You know, it's, I, loneliness is, is just something else, gang. I mean, I, I realize that my life won't be the same. I I just I get it. I don't like it, but I get it, you know. Um there's <laughs> there's times where I'm literally I'm just like god why? Why? What did I do? What did I do? And uh 
I, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole either, but it's, uh, it's the holidays, I guess. And, and I guess the depression and the loneliness and the sadness is, is seeping in, especially when you're isolated by yourself. You know, like I said, I don't have anybody to talk to. And, um, that was like one of the whole reasons why I started the, the other podcast that I was doing. Who's the boss? Um, was just because I needed some type of human interaction. But, you know, it, it's, uh, well, that, that show's coming to an end, and this show is coming to its season finale. Uh, I'm sure if, if you're new to this show, you can look at it and see it says season three, episode, whatever we're on. I think we're, what is this, 24, 25? I will have to look because I believe episode 25 is our season finale. Let me just double check that bad boy for you real fast. Okay. I had to take a check real fast. Um, it's, this is 23. So there's two more weeks left of, of this show. And then, uh, we'll go on a hiatus for about, well, I don't know. I I'm thinking, okay, this is what I'm trying to think of because, Obviously, I, I do this because I need a break. You know, I, I I try to give you, and I mentioned this, I think, last episode, is I try to give everybody, uh, you know, something entertaining, something fun. And I'm not trying to push no agenda down anybody's throat. And that makes it very hard for me to find something that's not agenda-driven because I'm not interested in and who's paying what to do what to say what for whatever product? I don't care. I want my nerd news to be nerd news, and that's it. And um, it makes it tough for me. It gets it frustrating because I literally spend hours trying to find content that's not agenda-driven. And... I know, I think I said it again last episode, or was the episode before that, is, and that's the heater if you hear it, um, I'm sorry if, if, it, if that offends you or that upsets you, it's just, that's my point of view, this is my podcast, and to be honest with you, it is my podcasting network, I'm the one that pays for it. So I, I kind of get burned out and I'm kind of burned out right now, but you know, if I've got two more weeks, I've got two more weeks and then, uh, we'll wrap it up. I don't, okay. So I got sidetracked. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you can tell my mind's all over the place right now. Um, so usually, okay. Uh, season one was, <laughs> it was two two very short episodes, and then I, I took a, a, a hiatus from podcasting. Came back last year, twenty eighteen, with my public life season two, and I think we did sixteen sixteen episodes. But I think they were like almost every other week or something like that. And then this season 2019 we've done 25 
maybe 26 for Christmas. We'll see. Depends on how I feel. Um, so that's six months worth of podcast. Now, in 2020, I, I haven't decided if I'm just going to take three months off, podcast for three months, like a, a mid-season kind of thing, take another three months off, and then just finish out? I don't know, because then that will put me doing nine months straight. And I don't know if I can pull nine months straight of content. I mean, some people are just down with the controversy, you know, oh, this and that, and, and wave this flag and wave that flag. I'm not into that. So we'll see what happens. It, it could just be literally taking six months off, coming back in July, June, July, June. Coming back in June, running till December like now, and just keeping it with season four. We'll see what happens. So we are at the 17-minute mark. I'm rambling. Um, I'm trying to deal with the 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 holiday blues, um, and everything that goes along with it. I mean, last year, yeah, you know, last year, I I I don't know why I'm, I'm even saying this. Last year, there was more family involved with like the holidays, so I guess it really that's why it wasn't really that bad for me. Uh. As to opposed to now, like I said, you know, there's there's really, there's nobody really. I mean, to be honest, I got the kids, but I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm done rambling. I'm, uh, I need to get on with the show. Um, so here we go. Uh, let's see. I think we need something uplifting. I've, I've got... A lot of good stuff. Oh, you know what? Before I start, I finally watched all three episodes of The Mandalorian. And quite frankly, as soon as I finish this episode of, of the uh, My Public Life, it'll be time to watch the fourth episode. So I'm ready. I totally, totally dig it. Um, I know that, you know, the haters are going to hate and people are hating on John Fabro, but you know what? He is an amazing writer. He's an amazing director. He's an amazing storyteller. He gets Star Wars. He gets the feel. He gets the characters. It's it's like I don't. How was it explained to me? You know, it was like yes, it was a a Star Wars cowboy samurai protecting a baby. You know, oh my god! I was like yes, yes, that makes sense. And um, it, it is. It just feels so Star Wars. They should give him a trilogy. Seriously. They should give him a trilogy and let him go with it. You know, because, like, for example, we all loved The Force Awakens. Now, like I said, the haters are going to hate. People didn't like Force Awakens. And then, you know, The Last Jedi came out, and that was... Again, um, agenda-driven. Oh, my God, that was agenda-driven. Some people are like, oh, I, I'm so offended by that. No, it was agenda-driven. 
because it the the suits and the investors had something that needed to be said or not needed but wanted to be said on the under theme of things and the under theme actually came out more powerful than the actual theme of the story so they bring back jj abrams in what is it the rise of skywalker to finish it out they're getting rid of the skywalker you know uh story so they can go off and do whatever they're going to do but did you know and, and this kind of leads into the next article. Um, they actually pulled George Lucas to help craft that story, the the Rise of Skywalker. It's, uh, in fact, that that's exactly the the title of this this first one. It says, "Star Wars." George Lucas helped craft the Rise of Skywalker story, according to Lucasfilm president Catherine Kennedy. The creator of Star Wars himself, George Lucas, had a hand in Rise of Skywalker. We sat down with George for a long meeting before we ever put pen to paper on the final episode, so we had the benefit of his thoughts, Kennedy told EW. We took lots of notes. And I I hope they did. I really hope they did. Um, Yeah, Uh, Kennedy, Catherine Kennedy. Googler. Yeah, she, she has an interesting backstory. Uh, let's see. In October 2012, oh, I remember that so well. We actually did, um, that was episode two of a, a an episode of, um, of a show I used to do called Seeing Red. We actually covered it. Um, but anyway, October 2012, Lucas sold Lucas Films to Walt Disney Company. For $4.05 billion prior to the sale, he named Catherine Kennedy, Lucasfilm's president, a role she remains to this day. Since then, he's had little professional involvement in the world of Star Wars. However, despite some misgivings around the time of Force Awakens, Lucas had taken a slightly more active role in the franchise, consulting on not just the rise of Skywalker, but Disney Plus's live-action Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. Uh, that's probably one other reason why that... that oh, my God. It, that, that is such a good series. If it sucks me back into TV watching, there you go. Uh, directed and co-written by J.J. Abrams, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Lupa Nupono, uh, Kelly Marie Tran... Billy Lord, Carrie Russell, Anthony Daniels, Mark Hamill, Billy D. Williams, Carrie Fisher, Naomi Aki, Richard E. Grant. The film arrives December twentieth, and I cannot wait. I, I'm I'm really I'm really hopeful that because I like I've been dodging trailers like crazy, and. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful that you know this is it. This is the last, the last big bang, I guess, of, of the Star Wars that you know we all grew up on. Now it's going to be handed over to you know the new generation, but you know the the ones that came out May fourth, nineteen seventy seven on forward. You know this is our stuff. We we have to 
we, it's time for us to say goodbye and hand it over to the new generation. So I really hope that they they do they do it justice. Um, but I am excited. Um, okay, since we're on Star Wars, let's go ahead and just jump right into the next article, which is The Mandalorian Makes Amends for a Classic Star Wars Plot Hole. And, of course, the obligatory warning. Warning, the following contains minor spoilers for the third episode of Mandalorian, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Really digging Disney+, Plus, by the way. Okay, uh, Star Wars created and solidified countless cliches when it first became pop culture phenomenon. And one of the most notable is the trope of stormtroopers' aim. No matter how many stormtroopers there are or how well-trained the soldier may be, they just never seem to hit their protagonist's target. But it looks like the Mandalorian is ready to reverse their reputation. Really? I'm thinking of three. Yeah, well, they were pretty dang close when they hit the Mandalorian. Mando is what they're calling them. Stormtrooper aim has been something of a plot hole in Star Wars franchise ever since The New Hope. Before the white-armored soldiers ever showed their skills on screen, a line of dialogue hinted at their deadly reputation. When Obi-Wan Kenobi inspects the aftermath of the squeamish and breaks down the detail for the young Luke Skywalker, he says, Their blasts point are too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. The line was meant to install dread for the viewers. Finally, meet the Imperial Stormtroopers. Rewatching that line is almost comical given all the Star Wars media produced since. Stormtroopers are famously imprecise despite Obi-Wan's words of his years of experience dealing with them firsthand. Throughout the original film's prequels and even the recent spat of sequel films, stormtroopers almost never hit a main character they aim at. Especially after gaining further insight into the training of stormtroopers. Their imprecise if buffering or baffling, sorry, one would think that the elite trained soldiers would be able to nail a target from the relatively short dif- difference distance good grief over which <laughs> their conflicts most often occur, whether they are on open battlefields shooting at stationary targets or in a narrow hallway on the Death Star. The stormtroopers just never seem to hit the heroes with the blaster bolts. That's yeah. But he was really, really close to get hit. I'm yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they did. They they actually hit Mendo. They 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 got him, which was a great scene because, um, the uh, baby Yoda, for lack of since we don't know his name, um, kept getting out of his pod and tried to like force heal him, and then Mendo kept putting him back in the pod. It was it was it was adorable, or as my girls would say, adorbs, adorbs. <laughs> 
Okay, it goes on to say, from an out-of-universe perspective, it's easy to see why. Protagonists often wear what refers to as pilot armor, which is the equipment that they make it through relativity minor conflicts and harm so that they can proceed through the rest of the story. Tropes like uh, Stormtrooper's aim and pilot armor often serve as criticism for the lack of realistic storytelling, as they can pull audiences out of the story and keep the danger of anything given sequence for resonating. Mm, Honestly, that never really bothered me, to be truthful with you. However, the Mandalorian has been so willing to fall into the same trap. In the latest episode, the series' hero, Mando, gets hit multiple times by stormtroopers. Blaster bolts explode against him as he invades a complex. His stealth advantage thrown totally to the wind once he is discovered. It comes as a small but reassuring detail amidst all the action that's not all Star Wars creators will continue to make the past mistakes. But was it a mistake? That's my question. Do you really think it was a mistake? Uh, no, I don't think so. That's just a matter of opinion, I guess. Of course, it's not as though the stormtroopers in this episode have gained down or gunned down Mano, Mando and left him a smoking husk on the ground. The blast bolts hitting him were likely added to show the durability of his newly worn armor. Um... Let's see. Officially formed Mandalorian. The scene helps fortify the Mandalorian's reputation for fearsome fighting skills and capable of craftsmanship. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Uh, Let's see. Uh, It also says, it's only natural for the character's literal armor would strengthen his plot armor. So it's not as though the show completely escapes some of the hazards of including such familiar tropes, but common sense that a hero would make it through violent conflicts early in the story so they can stick around until the end. The the trick for a storyteller is juggling tropes. Whoever wrote this loves the word tropes. Have you noticed that? So that no single one feels overused. The Mandalorian manages just that. I do agree with that, though. Stormtroopers' aims, heavily used throughout the franchise, make these villains look buffoonish and unthreatening. Seeing that the stormtrooper, the stormtroopers' Mando fight can actually hit their targets help establish the threat they could pose in the future conflicts all the more. When audience audience sees characters who do not wear such powerful plot armor, it increases their investment in the dangerous situations portrayed. Could Mando get hit by a blaster fire now? Hint at a future ally uh, ally's fate at Mando's side. Either way, however small the detail is, it helps fill the plot holes first created by Obi-Wan's observation in Star Wars' first film. For the oft-used henchmen to feel threatening 
It is important that their attacks actually have consequences, and it only makes sense that Star Wars' grittiest and most down-to-earth project yet would be the one to aim this issue. And it says, created by John Favreau, Mandalorian stars Petro Pascal, Gina something, Carl Weathers, something something, Emily Swallow, Ahmed Abani, Nick, Nick Nolte? Really? I didn't catch that. A new episode arrives each Friday on Disney+. Plus. All right. That was cool. It'll get a little wordy there, but it's all good. It was good. Um, yeah, it, it's right now, I think it's the hottest thing on, uh, on TV, to be honest with you. Speaking of being on TV, oh, my gosh. Um, I haven't read this yet. I just I pulled it. Because the title of it just grabbed me. I'm like, oh my god, really? Um, now, I'm 42. I'll be 43 in May. And I remember watching the Tracy Ullman show with The Simpsons. And they were just little, you know, they just little cameo shorts. It was funny. It was cute. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the the show started. The series and it's been running for what 30 years and uh yeah what two 19 was it 1989 so it has been 30 years huh sure has yeah but anyway okay so as i'm rambling let me give you the title of this it says the simpsons is ending claims danny elfman Despite having been on the air for more than 30 years, perhaps because of it, The Simpsons may finally be wrapping up after the conclusion of next season. While speaking to Joe, Danny Elfman, I did not know that. Okay. The composer behind The Simpsons' iconic theme song had let it slip that the season may, in fact, be reaching the finish line. The Simpsons had recently found a new home for all their series 603 and counting episodes on Disney Plus streaming service, which we we actually took a, a minute to to watch kind of the like the older ones that weren't on Hulu. So I got to show the girls some of the older ones. Now I know that I, I mention my girls a lot. That's because Jay, well, number one, Jay's 18, and number two, he's autistic, so he's not really into he's into his own thing. So that's why he's he's not overly included into all the stuff we do. I mean, there's things that he he likes that we like um, that he is included, but you know, just like small stuff, no. So that's kind of why. And that was actually an email that was sent to me a long time ago, and I keep forgetting to answer it, and it just popped into my head. So that's why I'm answering it out of the blue. Um, okay, let's see. Where was I at? Uh, from what I've heard, it's coming to an end, Elfman told the folks over at Joe before continuing. I don't know for a fact, but I've heard that there will be or yeah, there will be in its last year. This is likely a shocking revolution to fans both new and old. Elfman went on to tell the outlet All I can say is that I'm flabbergasted that it lasted as long as it did. You have to realize, when I scored The Simpsons, I wrote this crazy piece of music, and I expected no one would hear it 
because I really didn't think the show had a chance in hell. Really, I expected it to run for three episodes and get canceled. And that would be that. Because it was so weird at the time. And just, I didn't think it had a chance. So believe me, that is one of the truly big surprises in my life. I'd be grateful. Uh, Should Elfman's information prove to be correct, it will be indeed the end of an era for fans of the series. Having made its debut in 1989, there are currently millions of fans who have never existed in the world where new episodes of The Simpsons weren't forthcoming. Wow. That really says something, huh? Uh, let's see. All right. Um, just keeps popping up for like, are you interested? Um, I'm not going to talk about, even though I am a big fan of Batman universe, I'm not talking about the Harley Quinn cartoon. I'm not doing it. Uh, just throwing that out there. Okay. Uh, let's see. Yeah, because literally that was just a pop up out of nowhere. Speaking of popping up out of nowhere, this is a bit of good news. I think that it's going to make everybody pretty happy. I was excited, you know, because I was a Toys R Us kid. I mean, like legitimate, we would go in and and buy stuff from Toys R Us when I was a little boy. And as a little boy, I still have some memories. It was like huge. The whole Toys, I mean, it was just like... The whole building from top to bottom were filled with toys. And as a little boy, that just, it just really, you know, one of my favorite memories, I don't know why it is, but it's one of my favorite memories that sticks with me with Toys R Us. And that is back in the 80s. Was it the 80s or 90s? I think it was the 80s. Okay, I checked it out real fast. And it is, um, I'm seeing from the 80s, 1987 specifically. So that made me, what, 10 years old. And I remember going into Toys R Us and buying, uh, well, not, it wasn't for me. It was, uh, I think it was for my uncle. Uh, but anyway, yeah, they, they bought him a, a couch potato. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. It was just totally an '80s thing. Uh, if you if you have no clue what that is, go to Google, type in "couch potato stuffed toy," and live the '80s because that, that that was just the '80s right there. We just we had the craziest stuff. But anyway, that was a, a Toys R Us memory uh, that I wanted to share with you. As the title reads. Toys R Us opens first new stores after bankruptcy shutdown, which I was very happy to read. It's once again great to be a Toys R Us kid. The toy giant unrolled a modest reopening of its first store, first new store, Wednesday morning, just in time for the holidays, in a joint venture concerning two franchises. The Toys R Us will reopen in malls in New Jersey and Houston, Texas. The brick-and-mortar open took place in the Grand, or the Garden State Plaza, the largest shopping mall in New Jersey, with the ma- mascot 
Jeffrey the Giraffe presiding over the ribbon-cutting ceremonies. Mark Klan, a marketing professor at Rutgers Business School, described the strategy to New York Advanced Media saying, They're creating an experimental-type place, a place where they're inviting their former customers to come and experience toys, which is something that you can't do in traditional outlet or online. Yeah, I get what they're doing. I get what they're doing. After filing bankruptcy in 2017 and shutting its doors in 2018, Toys R Us sold off most of its inventory to True Kid brands with the promise of a retooled model and retail philosophy. True Kids partnered with the software company BATA, Beta? Ah, that's cute, to reimagine the store's concept along with the web partner with Target and the newly relaunched ToysRUs.com. The second store will be in Houston and is scheduled to open its doors December 1st with an unspecified amount of other stores set to open across the country. I hope that we, well, we're California. Of course we'll get something. And that is it. Okay, but there you go. Uh, Toys R Us is back. They are taking small, slow steps, you know, uh, which is very smart, I think. You know, two stores to open with and to slowly move forward. That's good. That's good business. That's very good business. All right. So we've got one more left uh, to cover. And I, I saved this one to the last because it's kind of a what if thing. And since we've got time to kill, I'm going to go ahead and, and cover it. Um, now, if anybody knows me, they know that Cyclops is my favorite superhero. And, you know, from 1963 to, like, what, 2007, 8, maybe? Uh, you know, Cyclops and Jean Grey were married. They were a couple. There's this whole back history, multiple, you know, it, it was, you know. So, I grew up with that. And when they, when... If anybody knows me, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, and I know it's not politically correct to say, oh, I don't like this guy. I don't like this guy. I don't like his writing, particularly. Uh, Grant Morrison, he came in. I know everybody's like, oh, Grant Morrison's the greatest thing since sliced bud and the X-Men. No, I didn't care for it. Anyway, um, he made Cyclops cheat on Jean Grey with Emma Frost, and it was just really crappy. I didn't like it. Went against his character. And then moving forward, pretty much since then, uh, because Gene died, one of the versions of Gene died, and, you know, he went with Emma Frost. Okay? So now, I don't know, somewhere along the line, because I stopped reading comics, now I'm back into it. He's back with Gene Grey. I'm not sure how that happened, but it happened. And so now they're saying, well, even though it's he's back with Jean Grey, this may not be what we're thinking. And with that being said, the title of this article is X-Men. Cyclops' single someone isn't Jean Grey, it's Emma Frost. Now, again, mind you, this is all just speculation. 
okay. So it says, when it comes to X-Men, few people have complicated love lives like Scott Summers. When he came back from the dead in the recent Uncanny X-Men run, many expected Scott to run back into the arms of his on-again, off-again lover, Jean Grey. Perhaps it's obvious choice, too, considering the long romantic history the two share. However, Jonathan Hickman and Linnell Yu's new X-Men title may be setting up a reunion between Scott and Emma. Instead, here's why. All right. Let's see. Do I have to click start now? I'm waiting for it to load. <laughs> oh. Here we go. Okay. I'm hitting start now. Loading, loading, loading. It's, um, well, technically it's not Thanksgiving anymore. Okay. Here we go. In the latest issue of X-Men, Cyclops said he loved a single someone. Okay. And then it's, the obvious answer is Jean, but here's why that might actually be a reference to Emma. The glance the two shared in the house of M was very tender. I keep hearing that's really good. I need to buy me a copy. Days before, Emma promised she'd find a way for her and Scott to be together again. Okay. Phoenix Resurrection was a chance for Scott and Jean to say goodbye. But their relationship has been over for a while, and they both know it. Okay. I'm just waiting for this. This is literally coming up one line at a time. That's why it's taking so long. The next X-Men issue features Scott and Emma in the Savage Lands. Really? Okay. Which is a location with lots of history for the couple. And that's what they're saying. Let's see if there's... I'm trying to wait for this thing to load. I'm actually... I'm on my iPad. And instead of reading it off the computer tonight. I'm all kicked back and comfy. Uh, I actually broke my keto, so I am going to feel like crap tomorrow. But boy, that food was good. It says, in X-Men number two, Scott leaves a cryptic clue in regards to the state of his love life. The summoner asks him, do you love someone? To which Scott replies, complicated answer, or complicated question. But for the sake of, for the sake of it, let's just say yes. I love a single someone. Okay. Who is a single someone? The most obvious answer is Jean Grey, Scott's wife and primary love interest through X-Men history. However, Dawn of the X has done something but the obvious is so far. And although Scott and Jean appear to be living happy together, the last signif significant relationship was with Emma Frost. There's good chance that the line was a reference to the White Queen herself. Scott and Emma started dating after he began a telepathic affair 
with her in Grant Morrison's new X-Men series. Toward the end of the run, Scott had to make a choice, Jean or Emma. He chose Emma. However, Jean and Scott never truly got a chance to talk about it and say goodbye, since Jean died shortly after Scott came to his revelation. He piled guilt upon himself after his wife's death, turning down Emma's offer to run the school together and quitting the X-Men altogether. It wasn't until Jean, after witnessing the apocalyptic reality, reaching out from beyond the grave to tell Scott it was okay to move on. With Jean's blessing, he and Emma started their new life together. Since then, they've been a couple in the X-Men series, entering a committed, long-term relationship that lasted all the way until 2013's Uncanny X-Men. Scott even reaffirmed his choice to be with her in Phoenix Song, where he declares, You're good for me, Emma Frost. That's why I love you. Phoenix Song was an ode to Scott and Jean honoring their relationship for what it was, but asserting that Scott's heart now lied in, yeah, lied with Emma. Even the Phoenix Force itself was forced to accept the reality that Scott truly loved Emma and that times were no longer the same. Scott loved Jean, and she is an important part of his life, but he was in love with Emma. While the end song provided clarity to Scott, Gene, and, and Emma, Phoenix Resurrection was this goodbye Scott and Gene never had. It was an acknowledgement of the tragedy of the relationship and that while Scott and Gene may always love one another, it may not be written in the cards for them. Huge emphasis on May. Scott and Gene never had the same chance to say goodbye. When he died in Death of X, he died in Emma's arms, leaving her devastated. At the funeral, she even went as far as to call Scott, the only man I ever wanted to give a damn about me. In the most recent Uncanny X-Men series, Emma was stunned by Scott's reappearance. In order to protect him, she makes him forget who she is, though not before making a promise that she would find a way for them to be together again one day. In House of M, when Wanda gave the X-Men and the Avengers a chance to live out their heart's desires, Scott wanted to live a domestic bliss with his wife, Emma. This, that simple, happy life with someone he loved that, or, excuse me, loves is what Scott longs to have, and Danielle Moonstar even acknowledges that the fact that him in the aforementioned Uncanny X-Men run. Ooh, that was tough to say. She asked if he really finally let himself be happy and have a future with Emma. But Scott was far too focused on saving the X-Men to worry about his complicated love life. With all the chaos and danger and the timing just wasn't right, but maybe it was now through the freedom Karkoa provides. Dawn of X opens up a, a whole new world. A whole new world. Sorry. Uh, a whole new world for the X-Men in more ways than one. For the first time in years, Scott, Jean, and Emma are all alive. 
and single for that matter. It's clear that Scott and Gene are still close, as evidenced by their short or their shots together and conjoining rooms on the summer's home. But the interaction between Scott and Emma have been slim, perhaps for a reason. The shock value of a reconciled revelation, maybe. During the celebration of the House of X number 6, Emma and Scott shared their first interaction since Uncanny X-Men, being finally granted a moment of peace. It, it's brief, but though the crowd... Emma shares a tender look at Scott, who smiles at her softly in return. It's clear that there's more to the interaction than just a, cur a courtesy glance. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I okay. Now I'm I'm never good at these things, so I'm old school. I'm very old school, and um, the way I see it is, it's a setup for Emma to go back to the Hellfire Club because she can't get. Scott, I mean, what a, you know, that old saying, you know, there's hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Yeah, that would be, I think that would be a really good storyline. Personally, that's just my personal opinion. Um, all right. Well, I mean, there is more, but I, I think that's enough for now um, because it's all speculation. And just kind of wet the whistle. Talk a little bit about the X-Men. And, you know, I always have my thing for the X-Men. Even when they get goofy and, and campy and, and just wrong. They are the X-Men. They are the reason why I can read. And they are pretty much the reason why I can write. And um, I always have uh, something special in my heart for them. All right, gang, we are coming towards the end of the show. Uh, I've got one more thing that we cover each and every week here on My Public Life as an American Nerd, and that is the Toy of the Month. Now, if you are new to this show, I, I always get it when I get a chance. I'll, I'll throw out a shout out to Mr. Mario E. Martinez. He's the one who got me into collecting action figures. Uh, specifically, right now, I collect. The Nightmare on Elm Street figures uh, made by NECA, NECA Toys. Um, I'm, I'm totally into that, and he turned me on to that. And um, so now, as a part of the, the nerdum and everything that we do in the show, we have a Toy of the Week. And this week, we always, for some reason, we don't do it on purpose. I, they don't pay me anything. It's just, I, I, this is where I buy my stuff from. And it is at the BigBadToyStore.com. And this one is Star Wars HF Figure Arts Luke Skywalker Return of the Jedi Second Production Run. And holy cow, man. That it, it just it's awesome. It's old school Luke Skywalker. He's in the black Jedi, you know, from Return of the Jedi. Uh, he's got the black glove on the right hand. He's got the the new lightsaber, the green lightsaber. Uh, it neither a it's strapped to a side, 
or he you could actually put him in the traditional like think return of the jedi where he's kind of hunched over and holding the sword out or the lightsaber the green lightsaber um and of course you know the detail is amazing it looks like a young mark hamill and it's just wow it's really cool um let's see if i can find a product description here and it says from the film star wars return of the jedi luke skywalker gets another sh figure arts production run standing over five inches tall luke has been created using digital modeling technology and features an incredibly high quality and realistic look. Yes, it does. Let me tell you that right now. Product features. 5.5 inches, 14 centimeters, made of plastic. From Return of the Jedi, highly articulated. Anakin Skywalker head for HF Figure Arts Darth Vader, which is sold separately. Box contents is Luke Skywalker figure, lightsaber, Two face plates, two hair plates, alternate pair of hands, Anakin Skywalker head for SH Figure Arts Darth Vader. And this one is running $74.99. And if you check it out, it's just it's worth it. It really is. It's really cool. And Okay, I was kind of confused at it uh, at the beginning, but I guess from what I understand is you can buy this and it gives you the the Anakin Skywalker, you know, the one where he he pulls his head off, you know, pulls his mask off and it's that the old guy underneath. Um, him, I guess it comes with his head. So if you go and you buy the Darth Vader figure, uh which I, I haven't found. Oh, by the way, it's it's uh, by Bandai as well. I forgot to tell you. Um, I guess you can swap it out and put that head on the Darth Vader figure as well. And again, that's seventy four ninety nine plus shipping and handling. And it says this item qualifies for four dollar flat shipping fee. So there you go, four bucks. That's not bad. And that is it. Go to www.bigbadtoystore.com and type in Star Wars SH Figure Arts Luke Skywalker Return of the Jedi Second Production Run. And you will see exactly what I is talking about. All right, gang. We've made it to the end. And like always... Kind of like yesterday, or not yesterday, but last week, you know, I, I was I was kind of trolling myself when I named the episode because I put the episode, need a hug, uh, you know, because I was so grumpy. And <laughs> one of my friends, uh, Mike, from uh, Dispatches from Shedquarters, he, he texted me and he's like, I love your rant. And I was like, I don't even know what I ranted about. But, you know, I was in a grumpy mood and by the end of the show... I was feeling better and you know, the, this show, you know, this week I, I started off, I was feeling kind of down, kind of lonely, you know, it's the holidays, but I feel better, uh, you know, an hour later and get to talk about all this nerd stuff. And 
thank you. I mean, all you have to do is just push play, and that means the world to me. And I, I appreciate it. If you if you come in every week to hear me ramble about nerd stuff that I find on the internet and read it, thank you. Because I know that you could go just as easily and go listening to a celebrity do the same thing. And I know I'm a nobody. I know I'm a loser, and I know. I just I know. So I'm I'm grateful that you're even listening to this episode. And I'm in a good mood now. So I am gonna call it a day. And I'm gonna go load up Mandalorian Part Four because it is 12:30 Friday morning. So happy Black Friday, and be safe out there. Uh, you know, don't tackle nobody that you can't, you know, take down. Make sure you you can at least take them down. And if you can't take them down, go for the knees. Okay, just remember that. Go for the knees. All right, gang. Much love to you all. So, for this episode, for my public life as an American nerd, I am David K. Montoya, and as always, I bid you adieu.